Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all good things without grumbling or disputing, knowing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among who you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God. Amen. Whew. Do you guys ever um, have these awesome new things in your life and you discover them and they're amazing at first and then they just kind of become old news? Maybe a new iPhone or a, a movie you watch something like that. This week we were standing in line um, at one of the exhibits for Comic-Con and one of the pedicabs came driving by and all of a sudden I, I heard is, you know, because they play their music in a very robust way. <laughs> so we're just standing there and all of a sudden you hear, doom, bum, 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 bum. Anybody know what song that is? Yeah, Uptown Funk, a little, little Bruno Mars action there. I love that song. The first like five times I heard it, it was magic. Every time like I heard it, I, I got excited, got a little joy in my step, you know. There was all these nuances and these new things you could discover about the song. But it's like, I don't know, after, after a little while, it just starts to wear off. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're like, you, you're going around the radio stations and it comes back on and you're like, oh my gosh, if I hear that song one more time, I'm going to scream. Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, these new things that we discover become old. And then a few months later, you're standing in line at Comic-Con and you hear it again and it's like it's the first time. You're like, oh yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah, exactly. That's our natural bent, isn't it? With, like with everything. Everything in life is new and exciting. It's this shiny new toy. And then once we've heard something a few times, it becomes old news to us. We even do it with the gospel. We even do it with the good news about what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, don't we? But guys, we can't afford, we can't allow the good news to become old news to us for a couple reasons. One, unlike Bruno Mars' recent masterpiece, Uptown Funk, the good news is a melody that keeps us guessing. The good news has these nuances and tones you haven't even discovered yet. These verses that are like applied to your life in such a way you're like, man, I never thought about that. That's amazing. It seems like it's custom written for your situation or, or for your heart in that moment. It's got these infinite rhythmic change-ups and stunning harmonies that awaken something in our, our very souls. But number two, we can't allow the good news to become old news because immediately, it seems, 
our hearts begin to gravitate around the old orbits that they used to rotate around. It's like immediately when the good news becomes old news, we start looking for life in sensual longings and rebellion. It's like, oh, if I could just experience that, then everything would be awesome. Or we start looking for our life in this like strict religious adherence and moralism, and all the while we forget that we have life already because of the gospel. So what lens are you wearing today? I want to ask you, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of taint and I'm going to change and kind of shift how we read this text, okay? This is, this is how the moralistic lens kind of skews this passage. You ready? Guys, this is Paul speaking. Guys, <laughs> obey like you used to when I was around, and especially now that I'm not. Come on, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God, well, you don't want to mess with him. Come on, right? Do not grumble. Do not complain. Do not dispute so that you might actually become blameless and innocent. You might actually become children of God in this, in this twisted and broken generation. Then you might actually begin to shine as lights in the world, but only if you hold fast to the word of life. At least then in the day of Christ, I, I may actually be proud that my life had some purpose. Guys, I'm, I'm dying here. I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. So get your act together. Come on. If you do what I say, at least I'll be glad and rejoice in that with you. And hopefully, hopefully, you may also end up rejoicing with me if you actually pull it off. When we let the good news become old news to us, sometimes we get into this moralistic mentality, don't we? It's how we perceive life and even God and even his word. Yeah, I know there's some truth in that, but, but it's skewed and it becomes all about what we do for God. Who's done that here? Anyone, honestly? Yeah. Yeah, how heavy is that? What a burden we put on ourselves. Or the other way we do it, here's, here's the other one. Here's, here's how the rebellious lens skews this passage. My beloved, as you've already always done a pretty good job, so now keep it up. That's the key to success. Remember, God is working for you. He's pleased with you. You know, he's giving you the life you long for. So, in fact, you really don't have to do much because he's kind of doing it all. So, just enjoy a happier life without all that unnecessary grumbling and disputing. Come on, just be positive. Just be positive. If you do that, you'll be so glad you did. And people will see how blameless and innocent you really are. Children of God without blemish in the midst of this generation of people who just aren't as blessed and happy as you. Among them, you shine like stars. Remember the good book because it has great suggestions to help you achieve the good life that you long for. Is that good? It's just so encouraging, right? And maybe that's more your story. There's some truth in there, but again, it's skewed. When the good news becomes old news to us, you start to see God as someone who's there to give you the life you want, the genie in the bottle, the the God who you can direct toward your passions to, to give you this life that you're longing for. So how do we view this passage from a gospel-centered lens, not moralism or, or rebellion? How do we let the good news refresh our souls through this passage and listen to it like, 
like it's the first time we've heard it. Well, we got to ask the Holy Spirit to show us what he's saying through Paul here. And if we miss this today, we're going to miss the joy and assurance that's ours in the gospel. In fact, we'll substitute the gospel for religious bondage or false liberty. And we'll end up disillusioned in our faith, faith and, and missing the abundant life. So today, my job is, as the famous newspaper writer said, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I'm excited about this. And the three points that we're going to walk through is, one, God is at work. Two, we need to work it out. And three, how this works. So you guys ready? Let's dive in. Point number one, God is at work. The first word of this passage is therefore. Therefore. So everything that Paul says in the passage that John just read hinges on something he's already said. So let's just take a quick look back at what Kenny covered a couple weeks ago because we had a really cool barbecue in between with lots of fun and a couple broken ankles. So let's jump in. Verses 5, chapter 12, verse 5. He said this. He said, Have this mind in you in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being humbled, being born in the likeness of a man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's Paul doing here? He's reminding them of the gospel. He says, therefore, why? Because we need to be constantly reminded about the good news. So verse 12, he says, therefore, in light of the gospel, building on this gospel foundation, he's just said, what does he say? Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? What does it mean to work out your salvation. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, it means to work out what God is working in. I love this quote. He says, we are to work out what God is working in us. We are to work the inward toward the outward. We work out, bring out, educe from within ourselves to our exterior life that which God constantly works in us in the interior secret recesses of our spiritual being. Work out what God is working in. Another way to say this is something we say quite a bit here at New City is this. Live in light of your salvation in the gospel. Live in light of the gospel. Work out what it means that you are saved. So here's some questions for you I want you to think about and just ask yourself. What does it mean that you're saved? How should your life look if that's true? What does salvation look like in your life? If you've been humbly served and graciously loved by the king of the universe, what is your response? I 
And Paul says, as you discover what it is to live in light of your salvation in the gospel, do it with awe, speechless wonder and amazement and fear and trembling for, because, because of what? He says, for, because it is God doing what? God, he is at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Wow, do you see that? You see what he's saying? Here's what he's not saying. Let's start there. One, he's not saying, notice he doesn't say, now that God has saved you, just go live however you want. It doesn't matter. You're forgiven, you're loved, you're sealed. Just just go live however you want. Act full, it's cool, no worries. God's got plenty of grace for you, just go crazy. That's one of the flaws of a truncated view of the gospel. We read passages about God saving us and we say, man, that's great news. God has done everything I don't have to do anything. I love this arrangement, by the way, because God loves forgiving sin and I love committing sin. It's a, it's a great deal. That's not the abundant life, is it? God, God has a kind of a tense, harsh word for some of us here today. He wants to stir us out of our kind of apathetic approach to our salvation and our faith. Paul says that since we've been saved, it's time for us to live like it's true. It's a stern warning to us that are sitting on the sidelines of our faith to put the remote down, lace up your Nikes and get in the game. God wants to do something through you. God has a plan for your life. God is at work saving you. Are you living like it? Live in light of your salvation in the gospel. Work out what God is working in you. Secondly, here's what he's not saying. He, he doesn't say this. Guys, you need to be afraid, fear and trembling, because if you don't get it right, God's going to destroy you. That's not what he's saying either. He's talking to people who are already saved. And he says, guys, that, you need fear and trembling, but why? Think of it. God is saving you. He says to live in light of the gospel with holy awe and reverence that shakes you to the core of your being because God is at work saving you. Think of it. God is saving you in spite of seeming randomness, chaotic cause and effects and chain reactions and butterfly effects. The butterfly flaps its wings in New York and causes an earthquake in Japan and all the randomness going on in our lives. Yet in the middle of that, God has plan and order to save you. God's saving you in spite of government leaders who pass laws and direct nations and can, can go to war. God is at work saving you even though it seems like they can be in control of the path of your life. He's at work saving you in spite of people who may despise you or Bosses who seem to have it out for you, neighbors who seem to have it in for you, family members who drive you crazy. And he's at work saving you in spite of all the brokenness within you that would seem to take you off course, the negative emotions you can't seem to overcome, the broken patterns in your life that seem to reign. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's gonna deliver me from the body of this death? I try to do good and I keep screwing up. But God is at work saving you. Do you see that? Are you, can you just stand in awe 
of a sovereign God who, in spite of every circumstance in your life, is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul says, stand in awe of that and tremble. He doesn't say, be afraid because God is at work destroying you, but he says, stand in awe, trembling at a God who's at work saving you. So it's not that God is sovereignly saving us, therefore we have no responsibility. And it's not that we need to somehow work really hard and save ourselves. This passage is the intersection of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Both are true. God is sovereign. We are responsible. God is saving us. So Paul says, live like it's true. Stand in awe, tremble, and work out what the gospel means in your life. Point number two, how do we work that out? What does that look like? Uh, Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle, the, the famous Renaissance painter, said one time when asked about sculptures, he said, I saw the angel in the middle and I carved until I set him free. Have you guys heard that quote before? That's kind of a cool quote. See, master sculptors see a block of marble and they believe that there's a statue within it just waiting to get out. Their job is to take away all the extra material and unveil the image within. So here's the deal. Imagine that you were that block of marble. I'm not calling you a blockhead. I'm just saying, imagine you're that block of marble, that you've been queried out of the mountain by God's grace, that you've been set apart for his service. Maybe we can't quite see that fully realized, holy, perfect image of Christ in you yet, but there are still traces of it. And God has sketched the image of his son within you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that deep within you is the image of God? That God has supplied a chisel and a hammer, that God has empowered your hands to sculpt and your mind to imagine, and he's promised that he will see it through. God is at work saving you. So grab the chisel and hammer. Follow his lead. Work out that image of Christ in yourself. Keep chiseling until everyone begins to see Christ in you. Do you see how that works? That's what Paul is saying in this passage. See, you rest in his work, and from that place of rest in the gospel, you work. You put your hands to what God is calling you to do. Work out your salvation. You trust you believe, you obey, you listen, you abide, and you follow. But what does that look like on a Monday morning? Because most of us don't just have spiritual chisels and hammers to walk around with. How do we actually do that? What's super practical? Well, notice here what he says. He says, God is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What directs our lives? What does the Bible say directs our lives, directs our actions? Anybody remember? Our hearts, exactly. Yeah, our beliefs, our desires, our passions, what's inside. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says in Matthew that it's all, all these things, all these good or bad comes from our heart like a fountain. It, it comes up from within a man, the good or the bad that he does. We just watched Inside Out yesterday. Has anybody seen this? Disney? It's actually really good. I, it was really good. 
This little girl, you see all the emotions kind of running around in her head and trying to figure things out. Each emotion has its own personality. And, and you see all of her memories and beliefs are kind of stored inside of her, right? Even Disney gets it. We live from the inside out. That's how we were created to live. You ever have these moments where you just wanted to do the wrong thing? Anybody? Like you're driving on the road to work and the guy cuts you off and you momentarily wish that Mad Max wasn't just a movie. <laughs> just like praying for Charlize Theron to come with that big semi and just run the guy off the road. Anybody? You ever want to do right, but you end up doing wrong anyway? And then we have these moments, these rare moments where we want to do right and we actually end up doing it. Like, whoa, how did that happen? That's amazing. How do we get there? Well, the question is this. Where does the power to change our desires come from? To change your heart, to change your belief, to change your passions. This verse says that that power comes from who? Anybody? From God. From God. He's at work in the invisible recesses of your heart, transforming you. Day by day, situation by situation, trial by trial, person by person, God is at work within you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It was a couple weeks ago, our, our gospel community met, and we were talking about areas of need community-wide in our, in our gospel community, and it came up as like the biggest area of need was, we just, we just don't pray much. And so we started asking why, why, why don't we pray? And it came down to this, we just don't want to. I know you guys are judging me super harshly right now, but like that was the honesty in that moment. Wow, we just really act like we don't want to pray. So you know what we did? Mind-blowing here. We prayed that God would not just enable us to pray more or make us pray more, but that he would give us the desire to even want to pray. And guess what? I believe he will. It will happen, whether it's prayer in our gospel community or anything, any good desire in your life. You know how I know? Even that little seedling of a desire to want to want to do the right thing, guess where that came from? That came from God. And he's at work in your heart, in your very desires and passions to transform you to work for his good pleasure. If we start with the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has become our salvation, then we can say, man, if this is true, then as you believe it, this is what your life will look like. If you believe this, you'll begin to behave this way. If you trust you will obey. Works follow action. Amen? That's what James says. So it's not modifying your behavior in order to save yourself. Praise God. It's not changing to get God to like you more or to bless you more. It's believing that you are saved, that you are liked. In fact, you're loved, that you are blessed already because you're in Christ because the gospel's true, and then allowing that truth to transform your behavior. Do you see that? Are we tracking? Cool. And so Paul says, if this is true, then this is what you get to live like. 
If you're free in the gospel, then you're free from grumbling and complaining and dividing and fighting. Why is he bringing that up? Well, historically, if you research Philippians, you've got some controversy going on. Paul's writing this letter to a divided church. Because the Judaizers have come into Philippi and they've said, hey, you guys need to upgrade your salvation. You guys aren't really Christian enough. Fellas, you need a little snip snip in order to fit into the crowd. You guys actually have to convert to Judaism in order to be Christians. And the church is divided and panicking. And we're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But in this moment, let's apply the gospel just like Paul does. Let's just be honest about this for today. And I want to ask you guys a discussion question, like a big living room, okay? What does complaining show about our heart beliefs? Anybody? When you're complaining, what does it show about what you're believing in your heart? That you're not part of the problem. The problem's out there. She did it. Mm, that God's word's not enough. I need more than that. Mm, good. What else? Yeah, I'm too good for this. I've got a degree pushing up broom. Mm. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want God to change the problem rather than changing you. Change my circumstances, not my character. Yeah, good. I used to do that, by the way, all the time. I kept losing my keys and losing my keys, and I kept praying, God, help me stop losing my keys. And finally, God was like, pray that you would become a person that stops losing your keys. <laughs> yeah, circumstances, not character. Yeah, what else? Why else do we complain? What's going on? What's the disbelief in our heart? Anybody? Yeah. I would be a better God than God is. My will is better. My plan would be way better than this. He says he loves me and calls me his kid and then puts me through this. What? Not being content or grateful for the blessings you've already been poured out upon or that have been poured out upon you. Failing to believe that God is actually good. And that what? And that what he gives us is good. God, you're not good enough. Your gifts aren't good enough. Your plan's not good enough. Mm. So let me ask you another question. How can we obey God and stop complaining without just saying, hey guys, just don't complain? How can we actually get back to the core beliefs? What are some ways that the gospel combats those beliefs? Be thankful. Appreciate the things that God has poured out upon you. Man, that is, it's funny. For a blessed nation, we tend to be some of the least thankful people, don't we? Marco. Pray for courage and strength to take the hard road. Yeah, because sometimes God does lay out a path in front of us that's difficult. As we, as we wrap this up in a few minutes, we're going to see that God's done this for Paul. Yeah, what else? Remember that Jesus didn't complain for all that he went through. 
And I've, I've got news for you. I know you've gone through some stuff. I don't want to make light of some of the things people in this room have gone through. Heartbreaking, life-altering, devastating loss, pain. But whatever it is, Jesus can identify with you in it. Jesus went through something infinitely worse for you because he loves you. Yeah. Austin. So good. Yeah, so I'm, I'm experiencing this fruit in my life of complaining and grumbling or fighting. Why? Because it goes back to beliefs and emotions and desires that are reigning in my heart and steering me toward those behaviors. So what do I need to do? Repent. I need to repent of the lies I've been believing about who God is and what he's done for me. The lies I've been believing about who I am in Christ. I repent for that and then I get to believe the truth. And what's the Bible say happens when we believe the truth? You will know the truth and the truth will what? Amen. How many of you guys want some of that freedom? Yeah. So we have to start with our beliefs. This isn't about behavior modification. This is about believing the gospel. That's the hard work we do with the hammer and chisel. We believe. We trust. Right? I love this question. We ask it a lot in community by throwing it up here because this is a great question to ask yourself regularly. When you experience the fruit of not believing the gospel in your life, start asking yourself, what am I not believing about the gospel? I'm struggling with this sin over and over. Greed, lust, addiction. I keep having this depression I can't seem to escape. What am I not believing about the gospel? Work out what it means that you're saved. The good news should never get old. It's, it's not that Bruno Mars song. As you look at it and look at it and look at it, it should transform your behavior daily. But then Monday morning rolls around and that guy cuts us off on the freeway and we forget all that God has done for us in Christ somehow. We forget the gospel and we live like it's not true and we complain and we divide and we grumble. And Paul says here, he says, stop. Don't let the good news become old news, guys. Live in light of your salvation in the gospel. Work out what God is working in. Be blameless and innocent because that's what you are. In the gospel, you're blameless and innocent. That's your identity in Christ. Live like it's true. Work out what that actually means. You're righteous, you're children of God. Rihanna got it right when she said, you're beautiful, like diamonds in the sky. And then she says, what? Therefore, shine bright like a diamond. (laughs) Behavior flows from identity. You're welcome. So don't let the darkness overwhelm you. Don't let the crooked and broken ways of this world steer your life. Don't let the, um, the perverse and polluted waters start to seep in your pores and suffocate your soul and saturate you. Let the air you breathe be the gospel. Take in the gospel as rhythmically as you take air into your lungs. Hold on to the precious word of life, Paul says here, like a life preserver. Work out your salvation. And lastly, shortest point, Three, how this works. Paul shows us how he's worked it out. Verse 17, 
Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. You see that? Paul has joy even if his life is being poured out like a drink offering. What a contrast. Paul has joy in that and then I look at my life and I get all ticked off and grumble and complain if a little bit of my life spills out of the cup. I'm like, I try to freeze myself and hold on to the edges of glass so that if God tries to pour me out, I won't fall out. Are you tracking? It's a weird metaphor, I know. I don't want to hammer and chisel away parts of my life, so I moan, I complain, I argue, I fight instead of rejoicing, instead of gladly giving my life to God as a sacrifice. What a contrast. How did Paul do it? How did Paul get there? How did he not complain but instead rejoice when life was not going the way he would have probably planned it on his own? How did he work out his salvation with fear and trembling? I'll tell you. He refused to let the good news become old news. He rehearses the gospel. Read his letters. They're so saturated with the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He constantly rehearses the gospel. He looked at Christ who gave up everything like we read earlier in this passage right before Christ who left everything. He had equality with God. He left it. He humbled himself, became a human, humbled himself, became a servant, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. And we ask, why, why did Christ do that? I mean, didn't he pray, Lord, let this cup pass? Yet his life was poured out as a sacrifice. How did Christ do it? Why did Jesus do it? The author of Hebrews says it masterfully here in Hebrews 12 too. He says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see that? For the joy. For the joy that was set before Jesus, he went through the cross. If you read the Old Testament, New Testament, Isaiah Matthew, Calvin, Luther, Piper, Keller, they would all agree, what is that joy? It was you, it was me, it was us. You are his joy, Jesus delights in you. He poured out his life so he could have you. How did Jesus face his cross? He looked forward to greater joy beyond it. That's what it looks like to display the gospel in your life, to, to shine like diamonds, to shine like stars in the darkness. It's the pattern of the cross. It's the momentary sorrow followed by ultimate joy. Momentary pain followed by ultimate healing. It's momentary humility followed by ultimate glory. It's momentary death followed by resurrection life. And when we view life through the gospel lens, we can say, just like Paul did, Jesus, if you joyfully pour out your life for me, then that's my response back to you. Here's my life, take it. I pour it out for you. If I was your joy, then you will be mine. We're gonna wrap this up and go into a time of communion. It's how we normally wrap our services up here in New City. And we're gonna gather in groups of, three to four people and partake in communion. We're gonna have some questions I'm gonna read through in a second for you to participate in communion with. But this is a time, remember, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in what? 
remembrance of me. This is a time weekly where we remember the gospel, where we refuse to let it become old news to us, where we take the gospel out of the old news archives and dust it off and remind our hearts of the hope we have in Christ. So one, here's the first question. I want you guys to ask yourself in community, and you guys can honestly just say these verbatim in your groups if you'd like. What areas of your life are not being lived in light of the gospel? Where have you forgotten how good the good news is? Maybe it's disputing or complaining or maybe you're depressed or lacking mercy with others, lacking generosity, seeking approval. The list goes on and on. Where have you forgotten how good the good news is? And two, we get the opportunity not just to repent of that, but to believe the gospel and proclaim the gospel to each other. So proclaim the gospel through communion. We have the bread. How does Christ's perfect life lived in the flesh for you provide for the life you're longing for? And the wine, how does Christ's atoning death cleanse you and restore you? Is that clear? What we can do? So if you're, if you're new here, we're, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together. Um, the band's gonna come up and, and lead us in one more song. Kenny, are we doing the song before or after communion? After communion. Um, but I'm gonna pray. So, so as we do that, just feel free to come. If you're a believer and partake, we have two communion tables. And jump into a group of three, four people and, and just pray together and work this out. What does this mean for my life? How does the gospel apply to the situations I'm going through right now? How can I believe the gospel? How can I work out my salvation? With fear and trembling today. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your love.